0: As we head into the fall months, I felt it was important to do some teaching about the two fundamental God-given ordinances of the church, communion and baptism, often referred to as the sacraments by some churches and theologians. This word, although not a biblical term, is certainly accurate in its Definition, you notice there in your notes, a religious ceremony or act of the Christian church that is regarded as an outward and visible sign of inward and spiritual divine grace in particular. And truly, communion and baptism are outward and visible signs of spiritual divine grace. God commanded and ordained that these two practices be in the church from the very Beginning. And so, in obedience, we do so here at Springville NAS. Communion and baptism. Today, we're going to focus on understanding communion. And then next Sunday, we'll center on understanding baptism. So, understanding communion at least once a month here at Springville NAS, we observe communion as part of our Sunday worship service. But how much do we really understand about this fundamental ordinance of our Christian faith? Well just to whet your appetite a bit, it's time for one of Mark's famous quizzes. True or oh you guys love these, I know. True or false? Let's try to see how we do on this together. True or false? The observance of communion has its origin in the Jewish feast called Passover. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. We'll learn more about that in just a bit. True or false, the elements used in communion are the bread, Jesus' body, and the wine, Jesus' blood. False. Wine is never mentioned in relationship to communion in the Bible. The terminology is the cup or the fruit of the vine. Now, we're not going to make more of that than... Perhaps God wants us to make of that, but we'll come back to that and we'll visit that in just a little bit. True or false, the Bible teaches that as we partake of the elements, they become the literal body and blood of the Lord. It's false. It's a doctrine called transubstantiation, and I'll comment a little bit more on that uh, in, in a bit. True or false, Jesus never specified how frequently we are to observe Communion. True. That's true. Yeah, he never really said specifically how often we are going to take communion together. True or false? Both scripture and history indicate that the early church observed communion every Sunday. That's true. true. Absolutely true. And we'll take a look at that in just a little bit. True or false? A person who is unworthy should not partake of communion. That's false. Think about that for a minute. Nobody would ever take communion <laughs> if that were true. Okay? But, however, the side to that, to observe communion in an unworthy manner is a sin and brings God's judgment upon the partaker. That's true. <laughs> Absolutely true. We'll be looking at that rather harsh judgment in just a little bit. True or false? The Bible Uh, refers to communion by a variety of different names, such as communion, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament, the Eucharist, the breaking of bread, the Lord's table. You guys are gun-shy now. (laughs) It's false. Uh, Two of those names in that list, the sacrament and the Eucharist, are not biblical names. The Bible never calls communion those. Okay? Okay. True or false? The observance of communion is a very personal and private matter between the believer and his or her Lord. It has little to do with other believers. It's false. (laughs) There's a great sense in which communion has everything to do with community. And we will talk about that in greater detail in just a little bit. One more, one more, come on. True or false, Jesus promised that someday when he returns, we'll observe communion with him in person in God's kingdom. And that is true, by the way. Uh, uh, Very much that he intimates that that day is coming when we all gather together at what is commonly called the marriage feast of the Lamb and we get to share together around that grand table. Won't that be a day? (laughs) Understanding... Communion. As we focus on what exactly the Bible does teach about this divine ordinance, let's start with today's text. So follow along as I read Paul's instructions. Here in First Corinthians chapter eleven, we're going to pick it up with verse twenty-three. First Corinthians eleven, verse twenty-three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. There is so much that we could talk about when it comes to understanding communion. But our time limits us to eight basic thoughts. You'll notice there in your notes that they spell out bread and cup, B-R-E-A-D-C-U-P. By the way, I shared the same outline in a similar sermon two and a half years ago, but I think these timeless truths need to be revisited quite often. In Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. Paul received them from the Lord, passed it on to the Corinthian believers. We receive these instructions from the Lord and we must pass them on and understand them, get our arms around them, and be reminded about them often, including today. So let's work our way through that outline together. The B stands for beginning. Beginning. Would you uh, please read 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23 out loud with me from the message? Let me go over with. Again, exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master Himself and passed them on to you, the Master Jesus, on the night of His betrayal. Don't miss that last phrase. On the night of His betrayal. Here we get a glimpse of some timing. Jesus Himself, instituted the observance of communion on Thursday night, the night before His crucifixion, in the upper room with His twelve apostles. The actual story is recorded for us in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. And so, the beginning of communion was in the upper room with Jesus and His apostles. Which brings us to the R, which is for Roots. Roots. Paul doesn't mention it here in 1 Corinthians 11, but the gospel accounts confirm that the reason that Jesus was in the upper room with his 12 apostles was to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what is commonly called Passover. Luke 22 records it this way. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom. Folks, it was not by accident that Jesus instituted communion at the Passover meal. You you know the story of Passover, right? The ten plagues that God sent upon Egypt to set His people free, the very last of which was the plague of the death angel. Remember that? And, and God said on this certain night, uh, my death angel will come over all of Egypt, and every single household, firstborn male, will die of both... Men and women and uh, uh, animals as well. And, uh, but God said, but for you, my people, my Israelites, my chosen ones, I have something for you to do. I want you to sacrifice a lamb and I want you to sprinkle the blood from that lamb over the lintels and the doorposts of your house. And when I send my death angel and I see that you are under the blood of the lamb, then I will pass over that house and death will not come. (laughs) It's a great word picture for us, especially when you consider that Paul said, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus is our Passover lamb, and we are under the blood of the lamb, and in that being under the blood, the death penalty does no longer touch us. See? And so communion has its roots in the Jewish Passover. The E stands for elements. Elements. Let's read 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 25 out loud together. Would you read this with me? The Lord Jesus took a piece of bread, gave thanks to God, broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in memory of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is God's new covenant sealed with my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in memory of me. And so there are but two Elements, which composed the Lord's Supper. Bread, unleavened, representing Jesus' body. And the cup, unfermented, representing Jesus' blood. Now let me make a few observations about these elements. Let me comment for just a moment on the unleavened unfermented part. The Bible tells us very clearly that the bread was unleavened. In fact, the Passover was called by its other name, probably more often than Passover, it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Jewish households would always have to go, in preparation for the Passover, they would have to go into their homes and they would purge their households of Any sign whatsoever of any leaven, any yeast, because leaven or yeast was symbolic of sin. Think about that for a minute. Leaven makes the dough rise. Sin always affects our lives that way, does it not? It just gets bigger and bigger. And so God had this uh, instruction that there was to be no leaven in the bread, that this was to be the feast of unleavened bread. And so some have thought that perhaps that also might apply to the fruit of the vine or the cup, especially since the word wine is never used in reference to what was in the cup. (laughs) I'm not going to stretch this any further than God intended, but the symbol of that is certainly worth considering. (laughs) That there would be no leaven in the bread, there would be no fermentation in the cup, because both of those are symbolic of sin. And in Jesus' body, the bread, and in Jesus' blood, the sin. He, of course, took our sin upon Himself, but He Himself was a perfect, sinless sacrifice for us. Enough said about that. Let me also comment for a minute about this big, long word called transubstantiation. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard that word or not. It comes down to us over the centuries, actually as a doctrine that was taught and practiced, still is, in the Catholic Church today. Uh, It says literally that as you take of the bread and of the cup, that they, in the process of partaking of them, they literally become the body, the actual body, and the blood of Jesus Christ in a miraculous way as you partake. Unfortunately, there's no evidence for that or scriptural support for that anywhere found in the New Testament. And so uh, we just believe, as Jesus said, this is my... Body. This is my blood. They are the representation of his body and of his blood. And as we partake of them, we remember that it was his body and blood that paid the price for our sin. One other comment I'll make about the elements. Some churches make a big deal of the fact that there's one cup. Maybe you've heard of that. And oftentimes you see pictures of the one cup and the fascination with the Holy Grail and all of those stories that go with that. Did Jesus institute the Lord's Supper with one cup? Well, yes, he did initially because it would have been in the Passover meal, the cup of redemption that Jesus would have held up and said, this cup takes on a new meaning tonight. This cup is the new covenant in my life blood. However, if you really examine the scriptures closely and you take a look at Luke 22 and verse 17 for example, earlier in the meal, before Jesus held the cup up and asked them to drink of it, Jesus said as he passed the cup, "Take this and divide it among yourselves." And so there's evidence even in the Gospel of Luke that that the cup was divided out into individual cups prior to the actual drinking of the cup again i'm not going to make a big deal for that certainly one cup does have a beauty of the symbolism of oneness i understand all of that but uh, i don't think that god intended for us to focus on whether it's one cup or individual cups it is the representation of jesus blood that was given for us. And so there are basically two elements that compose the Lord's Supper. The unleavened bread representing Jesus' body and the unfermented cup representing Jesus' blood. The A stands for assembly. For assembly. People will often ask, how often should we observe communion or when should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 25 says, whenever. You drink it. Verse 26 says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup. Some older versions, perhaps yours does, uses the word as often. <laughs> so we are to partake whenever or as often. And that gives us quite a bit of freedom on the frequency of communion. Now Acts 20 and verse 7 does say that on the first day of the week we gathered to observe the Lord's Supper. So we do know from that verse and from historical accounts of the early church that the early first century Christians gathered together every first day of the week, Sunday, the day to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and that one of the primary focuses for their corporate worship time was in fact Communion. That's why I use the word assembly here. Simply put, we have the liberty to celebrate communion whenever we assemble as a church. Now, many churches choose to have communion every single Sunday. Other churches choose to partake only on very special occasions, such as Christmas or Easter. Here at Springville Church of the Nazarene, we've chosen to include communion in our Sunday assemblies at least one time each month. With regard to the whenever, by the way, I would choose to eat the bread and drink the cup more often than less often. Does that make sense? Because some people I've actually heard say that if we, if we partake too often of communion, that it, it becomes too common. It loses its significance. I think that just the opposite is actually true. To celebrate communion regularly and frequently in our worship assemblies elevates the Lord's Supper to its rightful place of importance. It heightens the significance to do it more often. Again, the Bible uses the term whenever or as often. And so we should allow the freedom that God gives us with regard to the frequency of communion to help us to celebrate this memorial with a keen sense of its significance every time that we partake. The D stands for declaration. Declaration. I like the way the message paraphrases 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the Master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the Master returns. But don't miss those words. You reenact in your words and actions the death of the Master. The NIV simply says you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. I mean, think about it. Every time that we partake, we are reenacting Jesus' sacrifice. We are proclaiming His death. We are declaring the good news about the cross. Why is that declaration so important? Because, quite frankly, we are so forgetful. I mean, the Jews in the Old Testament illustrated that again and again. Jesus gave us this memorial so that we would never, ever forget. So that until He comes again, we would be continually reminded of what He did for us. In Jesus' own words, do this in remembrance of me. And so every time that we celebrate communion, we are declaring once again His death. Lest we forget. The C will stand for caution. Caution. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 11 verses 27 and 28 out loud together. Would you read this with me? Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so these two verses kind of wave a big yellow caution flag before us, reminding us of how we are to observe Simply put, it is not to be celebrated in an unworthy manner. Now the reason that Paul addresses that to the church is because unfortunately they were doing exactly that. Paul, if you read the chapters surrounding chapter eleven and in chapter eleven itself, there was a lot of confusion going on in the church in Corinth. There was a lot of there was actually kind of a flippant attitude, to be honest with you. <laughs> they they were observing communion in a rather irreverent way. They were approaching this meal lightheartedly. They were not taking this matter very seriously. They they were just kind of you know celebrating and partying and in fact Paul even says some of them were getting drunk at this agape feast. And so to avoid partaking in an unworthy manner Paul says here that we ought to examine ourselves before we partake. We should never approach the Lord's table without self-examination. Without first confessing our sins directly to God with a heart full of repentance, there's always that caution as we approach the Lord's table together. The U stands for unity. Unity. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 29, Paul writes, For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Don't miss that phrase. Discerning the body of Christ. Some translations say recognizing the body of the Lord. Now some take that to mean recognizing or discerning the physical body of the Lord to picture him hanging on the cross again personally I believe that that Paul may be talking here about the spiritual body of Christ the community of believers the church that more aptly fits the the context actually of what Paul is writing in and around these verses in fact let's just take a look at a few of these verses together follow along in your Bible will you first Corinthians chapter 11 we pick it up with verse 17 Paul says in the following directives, I have no praise for you. He's not kind. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there are to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Go down to verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you eat together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give you some further directions or further instructions, Paul tells them. The point. Is That although we individually commune with our Lord, we cannot do so if there are any divisions or factions or broken relationships or neglected needs among us in our family here at Springville Nas. Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. He said, when we drink the cup of blessing, aren't we taking into ourselves the blood, the very life of Christ? And isn't the same with the loaf of bread we break and eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ? Because there is one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us, rather, we become unified in Him. So you see, we cannot separate communion from community. <laughs> They go hand in hand with each other. The Lord's Supper is to be celebrated together as a church in unity. Which brings us to the P, and the P is for practice. Practice. Let me wrap up our study about communion today by mentioning four key principles that we need to put into practice each and every time that we gather around the Lord's table together. There are four looks, if you will, that we must always practice when we observe communion. The first is the backward look. The backward look. Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. We are to look back, we are to remember what He did for us there on the cross. The second is the forward look because He tells us we're to do that until He comes. So there is a sense in which as we're taking communion, we're not just looking backwards to what He did for us on the cross, but we are actually looking forward with eagerness and with anticipation for the day when He comes again. (laughs) And we will celebrate with Him. And all of this symbolism becomes reality as we spend time with Him for eternity. And then there's the inward look, because Paul tells us we ought to examine ourselves. Always, before we partake, there is that inward examination that must take place. And then there's, of course, the outward look. Discerning the body. Recognizing the body of the Lord. Again, I think the body meaning here, the church, the community of believers. And so, every time that we eat the bread and drink the cup, let's remember to put these four looks into practice. Looking backward to Jesus' death, looking forward to Jesus' second coming, looking inward in self-examination, and looking outward to the community of believers around us. Understanding communion. This morning we've taken a closer look at the first of these two God-given ordinances in Christianity. Jesus chose the Lord's Supper, two elements, the bread and the cup, that whenever Christians gather for worship all around the world, they would bring to remembrance that one great act that makes it all possible, and that's the cross. Every time that we eat the bread together, we are reminded that His body hung in our place to pay the death penalty for our sin. And every time we drink the cup together, we're reminded that His blood was shed to atone for the guilt and the consequences of our sin. What what an incredibly simple and yet profound memorial this is let's pray together God I pray that we've learned some new things today or perhaps just been reminded of some old things that we need to revisit because even now as we are going to move into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper together we are better equipped I pray to do that in a not in an unworthy manner but a worthy manner because this is how you've called us to remember you And so this morning, we come around your table at your invitation. Bless this time of remembrance, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.